Welcome to the Tips for Lawyers podcast. This is Chris Hargraves from tipsforlawyers.com and this is the podcast episode 29. For anything I end up mentioning today in terms of links, in terms of articles or just some helpful related topics, you can head over to tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 29 and there you will find the show notes and when I figure out a way of doing it effectively you will also probably be able to find a transcript if there's anything you want to revisit or you want to send to someone then feel free i wanted to invite you again as i do from time to time if you're enjoying these podcasts if you'll get something out of them i would really appreciate it if you would take a minute to head over to itunes uh, you can get there pretty easily just by going to tipsforlawyers.com itunes and it will take you straight to the tips for lawyers podcast And if you could leave a five-star rating and a positive comment or review, it really does make a dramatic difference. Every individual time someone does that makes a significant difference to the visibility, the searchability, and the overall ranking of the Tips for Lawyers podcast. So if I've offered you some value through either today's episode or any other episode, I would appreciate you uh, taking a minute out of your day to do that for me in return. Today I wanted to cover what I think is an interesting topic, and it's one that in a sense I've never tackled directly, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how we go since I don't write out scripts for these podcasts, I kind of just make them up as I go along. It is the concept of fitting in versus implementing change. Now what do I mean by that? I mean at Tips for Lawyers over the last 18 months or so, um, there are about 150 or more by now articles as at today's date at least and they're being added to in a fairly steady way and what I've noticed is that they have a tendency to fall into two very broad categories. The first is ways in which you can fit in to the current system better and what do I mean by that? I mean that is things like acclimatizing yourself to the existing firm culture. I mean adopting a useful style of delegation and being delegated to. I mean finding a way to write letters that actually get signed without too much red pen. And I will link to each of those in the show notes at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 29. But on the other hand as well, I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that a number of the articles that I write and a number of the podcasts I give are not in a sense, ways to fit in with the existing method of legal service provision, but rather an aspirational target for how I think legal services ought to be provided. That is, how individual lawyers ought to behave, how they ought to write letters, how they ought to interact with people, how they ought to build their social media platforms or their personal platforms, and for that matter, how firms themselves should be doing things. And perhaps that is not always a reflection of the reality of current legal practice. And so in that sense, some of what I deal with at Tips for Lawyers is either side of those particular aspects. In a, in a real sense, they are dichotomous opposites because uh, you cannot effect change by adopting what has been done before. And a classic example of this Uh, relates to a couple of my uh, recent observations about training of law students, and that's one of the topics uh, we might touch upon again today, which is what lawyers generally get taught 
is what has come before. So think about what we do. We look at existing statutory frameworks. We look at existing laws. We look at precedents in previous decisions. We look at citations. And then we look at the existing law and we interpret it using the existing framework. And as a general rule, that works for the provision of legal advice. Uh, and certainly that involves giving a client an accurate assessment of the likely outcome in a particular situation. But what we have been inadvertently taught to do as a result is in fact to be against, for lack of a better word, uh, resistant to change. And what happens then is that although that approach is how methodologically we should approach the giving of legal advice, that is, the way in which we arrive at a particular answer on a particular legal topic, it does have a tendency to stifle innovation in other areas. I'm not saying the giving of legal advice is necessarily a prime candidate for too much innovation. However, what I am saying is that the way we have been taught and the way we think in terms of legal advice is not necessarily the correct way we should think about other things. And so when we get into these topics today, and I'm going to do with three main topics, I think, that are worthy of consideration for this particular issue, that is the difference between adopting what is now done and what ought to be done, I think, or what will be done in the future, and the benefits of perhaps getting on a particular boat early rather than waiting until um, the trains left the station, uh, to mix two metaphors pretty horribly there. So... We're going to explore that question a little bit today because I think it's important to understand where your training has in fact helped you uh, in terms of the provision of legal advice, but where it might actually be hindering you in terms of your progression and your ability to stand out amongst your peers because ultimately business and the way in which legal services are provided are ripe candidates for innovation. And as young lawyers and as aspiring partners, which most of you are, there is a real opportunity, I think, to engage in a process of habitual innovation, development, attempting things, and perhaps getting involved in trying to effect some change. Now, you are going to face a lot of hurdles uh, in the legal services area in particular, uh, for the reasons that I've just said, which is we are kind of laggards uh, in that respect, but I think it is time to start thinking about how you might go start about starting to push the boundaries in those areas. So we're going to deal with three main topics, and the first of those concerns skills training. So let's have a look at where we are in terms of skills training, and some of this will be applicable primarily to Australian lawyers, although there are obviously a number of other frameworks around the place, but the general model associated with the qualification process for lawyers is this. You uh, go to school, you get good marks, you go to university, you get a law degree. After you've done your law degree, you engage in some form of what's usually called practical training, and that might take the form of articles in some countries. Uh, It might take the form of some sort of postgraduate style course, as it does in Australia, called practical legal training, run by a tertiary institution, essentially, um, or a purpose-made institution. And after that, you end up in a position where uh, you are capable of applying to the court for admission as a lawyer. Now, as we've explored recently, um, and I've ranted about, and I will restrain myself from ranting about it any further, uh, what 
we are finding in Australia uh, and in a number of other countries around the world is that at that point, despite being entitled to the piece of paper that says you are a lawyer, you are in fact nowhere near capable of being a lawyer. And so although graduates are commanding higher and higher salaries compared to what they used to, firms are finding that the value is not necessarily there. And in a sense, the firms are trying to wash their hands of that uh, and make someone else take responsibility for the training of young lawyers, which is the subject of my other rants. But that is a real issue of concern, and I think it's a real issue that's worth considering. So that is the existing model. That is how you become a lawyer. And then the next step is, of course, that you work for years and years and years. You get thrown in the deep end on as many occasions as you can, and hopefully you come out the other end, and hopefully you learn what you need to learn to excel in legal practice. So, is that as good as it could be? Uh, Look, I think the answer is patently no. That is the existing framework, and of course, for the moment, you need to go through that framework uh, because that is the barrier to you becoming a lawyer in the first place. And you can rail against the system all you want, uh, but until there is a demonstrable wave of support for change, uh, it is simply not going to happen. So to some extent, you need to work within the existing framework because you simply will not become a lawyer by writing a blog post about um, how terrible the existing system is and you want to practice law, but you don't want to go to university. That's not going to work. That just won't make you a lawyer. However, however, um, in particular, where you can influence change, and this is what I want to talk about today in terms of skills training, is after you are a lawyer, what are you looking at in terms of skills? Uh, And this is a big part of the reason why tipsforlawyers.com even exists, which is I felt there was a massive gap in that area of skills training and of even thinking about skills. Generally, we simply learn on the job and hopefully we get enough things right and don't get struck off the role of solicitors in the meantime. But as a general proposition, what we need to be considering is, is there a better way of doing it? Because that is what you can start to influence now. If you're a first-year lawyer or a second-year lawyer um, and there is someone more junior than you, then you can start influencing that right now. Whether or not your firm has a mentoring system, you can start to teach that person practical skills in advance of them requiring them. So it's not just a matter of reacting to circumstances, although that is frequently an opportunity for it as well, but it's a matter of taking a proactive approach. What are the things that that junior practitioner needs to know in order to discharge their duties well, to excel in their job? And you can, in fact, do some mentoring yourself. At the same time, you can invite someone hopefully available to mentor you. And I know that's harder than it sounds, um, but the reality is there are people available if you choose to take a risk and actually just ask, say, I want to excel, I want to do better, I want to have some specific training and guidance and have an opportunity to raise issues and questions and concerns, will you be that person uh, that I can do that with? A lot of lawyers will, in fact, say yes. Uh, I think there's a lot of senior lawyers out there who would be inclined to say yes to that kind of thing if you were the one prepared to offer the energy uh, to actually making it happen. If you rely on other people to make it happen, it simply won't. As a general rule, because lawyers are busy people, senior lawyers, I think, are more oblivious to it than anything else because they are operating in the existing paradigm. So they are operating within the existing framework of become a lawyer, get your piece of paper, practice 
for many, many years and get better through that process. But I think, I genuinely believe that there is a better way of doing it, that you can do it faster, that you can do it more effectively, and that you can have lawyers serving clients diligently and well from a much earlier stage than what we presently do through the system of simply hoping that people get better. In effect, we're relying on hope. We are hoping that through some sort of exposure to a variety of work that people might get better at their jobs. Uh, That, in pretty much every scenario, is a terrible idea. Sure, it has worked, um, but it takes a huge amount of time and it involves a huge amount of risk. So I'm a little bit surprised that law firms are so keen on it, but that is in effect what they are doing at the moment. So there we see the dichotomy in the skills area. We see the existing framework versus the potential framework. But if you were to want to disrupt the system in your firm or where you're going without getting yourself fired, there is no reason as a general rule why you cannot start helping. Put your hand up, offer to do something, ask someone something. Um, It works in both directions. So whilst you might want to find someone to learn from, you also have other people you can probably teach. Unless you are the single most junior person within your firm, there is almost always an opportunity to teach people. And if you are the most junior person in your firm, then teach someone more junior than you online. I'm sure you know people more junior than you. Catch up, have a coffee, have a drink, um, connect with them on LinkedIn, engage in a conversation on Twitter. The opportunities are there if you care to look for them. And the model doesn't change unless people start changing it. So for all that there are any number of junior lawyers complaining about the system now, what I don't see is a lot of junior lawyers doing anything about changing the system. If you want to show that something can work better, do it better and then point to the results and say, hey, look, this was better than what you're doing. So how about you do it my way instead of yours? That is skills. I wanted to talk as well, and it's connected with skills and what I just said about the way in which the profession interacts. As a general proposition, uh, law firms and lawyers have a tendency to be quite insular So although lawyers love to catch up and have war stories uh, and one-upmanship competitions and tell each other how great they are and uh, generally the same stories come out after you've met someone a couple of times, you do hear the same stories over and over again, and that can get a little bit tedious, and that in one sense is interaction, but we don't generally share with each other um, our genuine struggles and our concerns and our worries. And this does have a tendency to come out in mental health issues, which is not the topic of this podcast, but it does have a tendency to also uh, result in a lot of lawyers feeling like they're in it only by themselves. And as a result, they end up feeling like they're only in it for themselves. And that is not, I think, the desired paradigm. I'm aware there are exceptions to this rule. And what happens actually is that Law firms pay lip service to this kind of interaction, you know, open door policies and so on. But the reality of it is that people see what happens to those who raise issues and they don't necessarily get fired. But at the same time, nothing necessarily happens. So I think one of the ways in which you can also start to disrupt the system is by being open with people about the realities of legal practice, about the struggles that you have had in legal practice, about the ways in which you got through those struggles or the ways in which you dealt with them. And through that way, we can become a profession that honestly and genuinely interacts, debates and builds each other up rather than one that ultimately is secretive, competitive and self-interested. And I think that works at both an individual level and at a firm level. So again, look for opportunities to disrupt in that space as well, because I think 
It's not an area, again, that puts you at huge risk, uh, I don't think, depending on what you're sharing or who you're interacting with. It may be something you do at a one-on-one level, but don't forget this kind of thing happens from a ground level up. If you can help one young lawyer have an understanding of the realities of legal practice and offer them some of your experience, then don't you think they're going to repeat that paradigm when they become a senior lawyer? So for every person you do it for, they will do it for someone else, almost certainly, if they see the value in it. And that is how we get around it. See, the problem is when we get into a firm and we see how other people behave and other people interact and other people are secretive and competitive and self-interested, that is what we think legal practice should be like. And so we end up doing that ourselves because we don't want to get stabbed in the back and we're concerned about being authentic or vulnerable and ultimately it's a downward spiral. Uh, As a profession, we are ultimately going to kill ourselves if we perpetuate that problem. So it does require some people to step outside that mould, not just through lip service to an open door policy or to openness to discussion, but a real and genuine engagement with their colleagues, uh, both within their firm and outside their firm. Uh, Obviously, your job is not to put your firm at risk, or to share secrets that ought not be shared. I'm not trying to get anyone fired in this podcast, but I am saying there are ways in which you can expand beyond your current circle. So if you are finding that you are turning into the type of lawyer who is insular and self-interested and secretive and competitive, and that is not what you want to be, and I'm not moralizing, but frankly, I don't think you should be that. Um, There are people who are that. And as a rule, they're not people I want to have over to my house for dinner. So um, I'm not inviting you all over for dinner, just so you know. Don't send me emails asking when dinner is. But I think there is a real opportunity in that area as well to become a more open profession, to become a more honest profession, and to become a more authentic and vulnerable profession. Because we are not above scrutiny. We are not uh, insular. We are not islands. We are capable of growth only if we accept the realities of what our profession is like. And the final topic I wanted to talk, uh, touch on today uh, relates to being laggards, uh, principally in the area of technology. So as a rule, and this stems back to what I said at the start about lawyers generally doing things that have been done previously and repeating them rather than finding new ways of doing things and finding ways of disrupting the system and doing things differently. We are not, as a profession, very nimble. But as an individual lawyer, you have a huge advantage over a law firm, which is a much more cumbersome uh, entity. Unless you're a very small firm, you do have opportunity, particularly in the area of technology, but also particularly in the area of responsiveness to things. Uh, Obviously, a firm with 300 people, when there's a computer upgrade available, Uh, There's a fair financial investment, and I can understand why most law firms operate with pretty old, awful computers, um, unless they happen to have just had an upgrade. So uh, that is understandable, but as an individual lawyer, you need not operate under that particular paradigm. Once again, there is an opportunity for you to master new things as they come out. Uh, And uh, frankly, law firms have completely missed the boat uh, so far as social media is concerned. That opportunity... Uh, to really make a good go of social media is effectively gone for law firms because they were so terrified of it. And even though they're not terrified of it now, you know, most law firms have a Facebook page and a Twitter account, they have no earthly idea what they're doing. And I uh, did do an article about that recently, and I'll put it in there uh, in the show notes at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 29. 
about the ways in which law firms essentially are convincing themselves that social media is a waste of time. And they do that because they're not investing the necessary time or money to master new things as they come out. And so when new opportunities come out, when new ways of delivering services come out, when new ways of pricing structures come out, because the resistance uh, gets up in arms for so long, you know, we're talking years sometimes before incremental change even begins to happen, the opportunities that have arisen through those new models to distinguish yourself and to be the person who was first on a particular area, and I'm not just talking about social media here, I'm talking about everything, distinguishment in legal services is very, very hard. Everyone knows they're supposed to distinguish, but we all try to distinguish on the same things, uh, which if you can see the irony in that, uh, it's pretty palpable because we all try to distinguish ourselves on expertise, on personal service, on price. Those are the three main catalysts. Not everyone tries to compete on price. Uh, Some people deliberately try to avoid competing on price because they know they cannot. And uh, frankly, I think it's a silly decision to compete on price in legal services. But we all just try to convince our clients that we're more expert than anyone else. Uh, As a general rule, that's where we try to position ourselves. And that's honestly, most of the time, untrue. And even if it were true, it's also something where you're going to have a hard time convincing a client. So where I'm talking about being an early adopter of new ideas, new technologies, involves you deliberately and consciously keeping an eye out for new ways of doing things, new ways of delivering advice, maybe through an audio file, maybe instructing people via uh, a podcast or offering new methods of of graphically delivering information to people. Uh, Firms are very traditional in many respects, but as an individual lawyer, you might have the opportunity to offer some greater innovation. So I realize in all of these things that there are barriers. And I realize that in a sense that involves taking a risk. And if you haven't listened to it already, you should have a listen to my Bird in the Cage podcast, uh, which I'll link up in the show notes as well. Because if there is going to be instrumental and meaningful change in the profession on any topic of any kind, uh, moaning about it doesn't actually achieve anything. So I want to encourage you today to think of one area. It doesn't necessarily need to be one I've mentioned. I've only touched on three. But think of one area where the existing framework in legal services you think is unacceptable for some reason. If you think of a few ideas, great. Jot them down, uh, save them all for later. But pick one where you think you can immediately affect some form of modification. Maybe it's by shortening your advices to one page. Maybe it's by uh, delivering things in a different way. Maybe it's by communicating with your clients in a new way. Either, really, it doesn't matter um, what you pick. It does matter that rather than simply complaining about it, you find a way of trying to do something about it. Now, of course, you won't always be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong. Sometimes your gut will tell you that something is better and in reality it will have a poor reception from whoever was supposed to be helped by it. But that's okay too. You, you learn from that as well. You don't need to commit um, huge resources to this kind of incremental change. You tweak something and see if it's well received and if it is, then you replicate it. I mean, this is not rocket science here, but it is something firms are not very good at because we're obsessed with overworking things before we deliver them out so 
that's what I want to encourage you to do today. If you've got any uh, fantastic ideas, feel free to share them with me. Um, you can contact me uh, just through the website in any number of ways. But that is all I had for today. The dichotomy between fitting into the existing process because we must and exploring new opportunities and ways of change because we should. This is Chris Hargraves from tipsforlawyers.com. Get the show notes at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 29. And again, I would really like it if you would head over to iTunes at tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes and leave a review, leave a comment, say something nice if you can, say something mean if you have to. I'll see you next time.